0: Happen to my boys, I drink a lot, call a help life. <laughs> yeah, I probably would. Scott, um, maybe we can talk about something else, like your daughter and maybe where you she's going. Do you never think about what happens when you die? No, I don't really like to think about that.
1: No, I do, all the time. My love...
0: Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 292. Out September 25 in virtual cinemas across America is Last Call, a riveting real-time drama that tells the story of Scott, played by David Wilkins, a broken man in a downward spiral who calls a suicide hotline in the dead of the night, only to find that he accidentally dialed a community college where an employee on her graveyard shift Beth, played by Sarah Booth, answers the phone. What follows is an engrossing and harrowing conversation that is presented in the most inventive of ways. Two true single long takes filled simultaneously in two different parts of Windsor in Canada. Joining me now to talk about Last Call is the film's director, Gavin Michael Booth. Gavin, I thank you very much for your time today.
1: Thank you so much for having us. And anybody who wants to support our little indie film, we're we're, we're fans of instantly
0: um look and i 100 percent love this movie i mean i watched it uh i was saying off air before i watched it the day before and it's really had quite an effect on me after watching it actually um the first thing that really hit me there i was curious about what came first in the evolution of the film is it the story or the idea of making a split screen long take movie
1: they happened at the same time so David who stars in the film also co-wrote the film with me and produced the film and David came to me with the core idea but David had previously acted in a single take music video that I did and David and I are good friends and he knew I had a single take split screen movie that actually twice has gone into Rehearsal, like we got the money together, put the whole deal together. And we're, we're in rehearsals when it was shut down that movie dealt with a shooting in a high school. So for political reasons and thing, you know, every time there'd be a mass shooting in the U S something in our, in our mechanics of the film deal would fall apart and we'd be mm. reset. So he knew my love for, you know, single take movies. And he, uh, he approached me and said, I have this idea where I would play a man calling a suicide hotline at wouldn't it be interesting if we did it in a single take? And we could probably do the split screen idea too, where you see the suicide hotline operator on the other side. So it was always organic that the, the story and the, the style that the film would be shot were developed organically.
0: Is it true that David had a friend who was actually a phone counselor for us also at Hotline and that's how the idea came about?
1: Yeah, she's she's a friend of mine too. She's uh, she's the lead actress in the uh, Paranormal Activity movies. Uh, oh, awesome. Kate katie Featherstone. Okay. She uh, David runs. We used to run a group called uh, Positive Coffee Talk, where every Wednesday a group of actors, directors, uh, people in the industry would get together, and you weren't allowed to talk about anything negative. So generally, you get a bunch of actors and, and filmmakers in a room. All they're going to do is complain about their agents and how things aren't working out. And, David changed the game so we can only talk about positive things. So um, Katie had at the time, recently completed her training to be a volunteer crisis worker. And that's what triggered the idea for him was in discussion with her and learning about it all. And, and, uh, and then she became an incredibly valuable asset to us in the making of the film in terms of uh, doing research. It's actually part of the research with her that made us pivot from it being an actual crisis uh, hotline worker to being Beth, the random stranger who's a night janitor.
0: It's really interesting because you don't really see that profession on screen much. I mean, you see films in regards to negotiations, hostage negotiations, interrogations, etc. cetera. These are the totally different way to approach things. Um, when you have this occupation as, you're, as your starting off point in your movie, the um, suicide hotline, the phone counsellor, how much research goes into making sure that what you're showing on screen is as real as can be, considering, of course, you are making a movie and you're trying to tell a story as well as trying to send a message as well?
1: Absolutely. It's, it's, it's story first. You know, movies are allowed to take liberties all the time. We see it yep. from everything from not paying for your taxi when you get out of it to guns never running out of bullets. Like, there, there are liberties you can take, but... You know, the whole point of doing this movie in a single take was to make it feel real. So, you know, dealing with a a topic of mental health and the more that I realized and, you know, I I don't suffer from depression. And, you know, uh, David openly admits that he does suffer from depression from time to time. You know, it was just a very eye opening for me. I thought we can't do this topic and not do it justice. And, And part of what happened in the writing was. Uh, A real crisis worker, generally, every call is 20 minutes or less that that they de-escalate the person on the other side of the phone, and either they're able to convince them that they feel safe, they agree to be safe and disconnect the call, or... Uh, they send, you know, a police officer or civil servant to do a wellness check on them if they're not agreeing to be safe. So mm-hmm. we were having the problem that, well, this movie would be 20 minutes long. And then we started to get into like, well, what if there's a blizzard and nobody can drive? And, 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 and then you say, then it starts to sound like a Hollywood thriller. Um, but it was when we, you know, came up with the idea of like, well, if it's a random stranger, if he's an alcoholic and he's been drinking, it's easy that he could misdial or have written the number down incorrectly. Um, and that opened up this whole possibility. And then we thought, you know what, there's a much more sort of honest in point to this movie through Beth that she wouldn't know what to say necessarily that, yeah. that she it, it puts us as the viewer in her shoes, essentially that that could be us answering that phone call. So we tried to tried to make it as honest as, as, as we possibly could.
0: You mentioned before that you worked with Davis previously on, on, on a, um, a film uh, music video uh, where you used the long take format. Um, you've used that format a, a few times before. What is it about it that appeals to you as a filmmaker and storyteller?
1: I think it's – I mean, obviously, the movies I love – I remember being shown Alfred, <coughs> Hitchcock's, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's rope in high school and just mm. you know, being blown away by what they did, stitching takes together. And obviously, shooting on film, they could only run 10 or 12 minutes at a time, so they had to the stitch takes. But I saw Russian Ark growing up. I saw Mike Figgis's Time Code, which is a split-screen real-time movie, even 1917 that came out recently. I'm always fascinated because I know what goes into – there's just a different energy in – in making a film or even a short film or a music video in this style where everything has to be sort of perfectly timed. Um, and, and it only applies to the right concepts. You, you could always do it as a gimmick, but I think you, you need, it needs to drive the story forward. It needs to be organic to what's happening on screen. Um, even th- there's a project that I, I got to collaborate with Blumhouse on that make all the, all the best horror movies on the planet these days. Uh, we did the world's first live film and that, that was, it, it, it's, it also gets my heart, my heart race going. So I feel like some people like to climb mountains and my mountain is how can I, how can I possibly put myself in the director's seat of the most impossible project to make?
0: (laughs) Um, You said before that how timing is essential, how much rehearsal was needed uh, for this movie? Um, And did David and Sarah, did they rehearse on the phone uh, quite a bit considering that on in the movie, that's the way they're going to communicate?
1: So we, how much rehearsal was needed would be another forty days from what we had. What we, what we you know, this is a very, very small budget film, yes. uh, put together with a lot of favors, a lot of, lot of sweat equity in there. Uh, we had ten days to rehearse on on the set, and that's all the technical rehearsal on both sides of it, the lighting rehearsals, the the everything, the the acting rehearsal, and we had four days to to get it right to shoot the movie and try to get it correct. But we did end up, it it was interesting because, uh, you know, and in full disclosure, our friend Sarah Booth is is my wife. So, um, you know, while David and I were writing the film, David would come by. She was always involved in the story from the beginning and knew, Mm -hmm. you know, knew what was happening. We would sometimes read the script out loud and just change things as they would improv dialogue and, and we could sort of get a flow of what sounded more natural. But leading up to the film, the few weeks before, we all assembled in Windsor. David was in Los Angeles. Sarah was in Toronto filming a project and I was in Windsor prepping locations and getting, getting some details together. So we would actually rehearse over the phone. And it was, it was really interesting me as the director to be kind of blind and really just focus on the acting performances. Um, You know, almost like I was like somebody like, like, like a little kid in the basement on the, on the extension phone line with my parents calling somebody um, and, and, and really work on the perspective of what, what they're going to sound like talking to each other on the phone before we even got onto set and, and had to do any blocking.
0: This might be a silly question, Moses. I, I was really curious about it. How important was the discussion about using mobile phones as opposed to landline? Because I'd imagine considering the time restrictions you have and the opportunities you have to film this, using a mobile what might not be ideal because the connection could cut out.
1: I uh, living in Los Angeles, I've never had a phone call last longer than 20 minutes without being disconnected, uh, which I often laugh. I say like, we can control rovers on Mars by, by like phone signal and radio signal, but we can't keep sick, you know, one, one phone call from one side of the Valley to the other. Hmm. And particularly where we filmed in Windsor, it sits on the border with the U S at Detroit, Michigan. And we were only a few blocks from that border. And it's very famous for dropping calls because phones will often try to switch carriers into the other country and it, it disrupts the calls often. So we just thought let's eliminate it. Let's make it landlines. And we were risking it enough that that uh, best character has the wireless headset for a good part of the movie. Yeah. Um, that, that was already, you know, there were certain halls of the, college she couldn't walk down or if she did certain hallways she had to walk faster because there were just certain rooms like an electrical panel room that would disrupt the signal so uh you know all we figured if we'd done it with cell phones we we would have had that tenfold and probably had to restart just take after take after take
0: locations wise you need places to, to film your movie, of course, but specifically for this film, you need it for a certain amount of time. Um, you have time restrictions placed on you. You need to make sure you can have these places to yourself. Um, how did you end up finding the the places that you shot this story in? I mean, in particular, mention um, Beth works at a city college and you pretty much looked like you had an empty building there. Was that easy to come by or considering that you're a hometown filmmaker, were you able to uh, get these accommodations go your way?
1: You you nailed it right there. I've shot many film projects in there. I, I've mentored and had internships from, from the, the, f- the film students at the college in the past. And even though I live in LA, I still shoot the majority of my music videos and projects in, in Windsor. It's a very giving community. You know, it doesn't have a film community necessarily. There are a handful of filmmakers making great stuff. So the community is very open to helping, you know, the, the donation of restaurants, giving food locations, you know, we, so St. Clair college, um, you know, I went and spoke with Veronique Mandel who runs that program and she worked out all the details with the college that so they, they essentially like, it's unbelievable. I tell my filmmaker friends about it. And they're like, what you didn't even pay for it. And what they would do is like, give us the keys at 4 PM and say, all right, see you, see you tomorrow morning. And then mm-hmm. we had overnight every night for almost 20 days to, to light it, to prep everything. They would come in in the daytime. We would come back at night and it wouldn't, you know, I don't know anywhere else in the world that we would have been able to make this movie, especially on the budget that, that we had in the same manner. And what was really lucked out is so the the bar that we find Scott in at the beginning of the film is Vermouth, uh, Vermouth Bar, Vermouth Lounge, which is my... local watering hole that's my favorite bar on planet earth my friend matt who plays the bartender in the movie is an actor and does own that bar and we were lucky enough to find an apartment complex that was walking distance because again in real time when you're not editing anything if somebody says walks from the bar to their apartment we couldn't have a 40 minute walk or we're going to have a two and a half hour movie where you're drastically bored waiting for him to get to the next the next point so you have everything
0: set up you have your actors, you have your locations, you have your script, everything's ready to go. What is the mood like just before you call action and the take begins?
1: Um, I so I ended up being a camera operator on this film on one side of it, which was not the original plan. So, for me personally, completely nerve wracking. Um, because rehearsals were a bit lighter because if we messed up or anything, it it was less precious. But those four nights of trying to get this movie completed, knowing that there's a real ticking clock that we might, we we knew going in and I prepped everybody I said, listen, there's a real chance that we don't get this movie in a single take. And we'll Hmm. either have to, hide cuts or we become a great documentary about a failed film experiment. (laughs) I said, but I want everyone to know that that's okay. I don't want the pressure. I don't want you to overpressure yourself to the point that you often, often being too nervous, you end up screwing things up versus being relaxed to go into it. So, you know, we had a very small crew. I think there at, at max, there was no more than 12 of us at a time on set ever. And it, it becomes a bit like a summer camp, you know, just everybody's there to do this task and, and, and we still make it fun. And I don't like running sets that are, that are militant. I, I love making sure everything is loose. And the more, you know, the more freedom that everybody had in their department to flex their muscles, even with the, the camera work on my end and Seth West Celestis, who's our DP who camera off the other side, we blocked everything. We knew exactly where the cameras went to move, but I said, if you, if you're in the moment, you feel Something like push in for a close up instead of staying wide. I'm like, go for it. Like I, I, can, I have complete trust and faith in what you're going to do. And the whole point of an organic take like this is the actors might improv a line here and there. So the camera crew should also feel that freedom, and it will it will keep the movie from feeling stale. But I do remember the take the take that we've used for the movie, the movie that you watched. Uh, Right before we started, we would would always start outside of the bar because it was cooler night air and and those cameras tend to overheat pretty quickly. So we would be standing outside, we'd sit, you know, I'm on a cell phone connected with the other side saying, all right, everybody sync their audio, let's roll camera. Okay, one minute timer's going until we start. And as we're about to start rolling, this older couple walked by, and the, <laughs> the gentleman said to his wife, He said, Oh, look, honey, I think they're making a movie. And she just side eyed us and then waved her hand off at us like a rejection wave and just went, I don't give a shit. And <laughs> just kept walking. And I was like, Well, David, there's your motivation for feeling depressed and action, you know? <laughs>
0: The movie um, deals with a very important topic and still a very taboo one in, in suicide. Now, um, here in Australia, we just had Are You OK Day. It was like a national day of recognition and conversation. Um, and it happens every September 10th. So it's like maybe like eight days ago. Um, I don't know if you have something uh, similar to that over in Canada as well. Um, when it comes to this movie, though, and the topics that you're addressing and the way that you address it, is it the hopes that you can generate conversation amongst people, whether they are depressed or not, suicidal or not, um, especially during like these times, like off COVID, when it's like isolation, depression, like, like, really seem to be uh, just as bad as the virus itself.
1: So in Canada, I know that we have uh, Bell Let's Talk Day. Bell is the phone company there, and they have they have a day where. Every time you text the hashtag, let's talk and bring awareness to mental health, they donate uh, a nickel to to mental health. Um, and, and there's also like a you are not alone campaign. So, yeah, definitely familiar with programs like that. So when we were starting, it, you know, David said, you know, I think this movie could be used in schools and we were writing it as kind of like, that's cute. But let's finish the movie first. Yeah. And I was I was I was more hesitant with it where I thought, you know, what, I don't think it's, it's our decision if this movie can be that. I think audiences. And mental health professionals need to make that. I didn't want to. I didn't want to be promoting the movie, saying this is a great vehicle for mental health, because I'm a filmmaker. I'm not a mental health professional. I'm not mm-hmm. a psychologist. I wouldn't want to go on record saying that. And if our movie ends up being an extreme trigger warning for people, uh, you know, have have that on my shoulders or, or any kind of worry. Yeah. What ended up happening was we. Had a psychologist here in Los Angeles who works with Netflix and Warner Brothers. She's sort of like their on-set psychologist if, if they're having traumatic scenes, uh, in case the actors or crew need somebody to talk to. And she was part of the decision to pull the scene from Thirteen Reasons Why that, that famously made made the rounds that the uh, you know that they had over romanticized suicide, and, mm. and the decision was made by Netflix to remove the scene. Um, once we started showing audiences. You know, we, we were at festivals for almost a year and festivals are a wonderful tool as a filmmaker to see an audience reaction to your work and get to talk to them in a Q&A afterwards. And our, our Q&A's became really the first couple made me very nervous and overwhelmed because people wanted to share their they felt comfortable sharing their deepest, darkest secrets about mental health and depression to a complete stranger. But I had to learn that we're the guys who just made a movie about a complete stranger who, <laughs> who you know, un, you know, gets to, somebody gets to unload their mental health issues on, and it, it it's it's come to be very powerful. Where like you can, it's amazing how you can go from stranger to an intimate connection with somebody if you're willing to let your guard down and express like deeper parts of your soul or your psyche. What made so many amazing friends and had so many wonderful chats and educational chats with with members of the audience in all of the different cities and countries that the film played. Um, so once we knew that, we did partner when we had our world premiere in Windsor. Uh, we had a huge twelve hundred seat auditorium. Uh, it's also the same auditorium. We recorded the score live in a single take, but we, we can talk about that in a bit, but we we partnered with Canadian mental health organization where we were able to give money from like the ticket sales and the corporate sponsors that we had for the event to raise the money for them. And we're actually doing that tomorrow. The film does open in Canada and all ticket money, the theater chain, uh, mutiny pictures, our distributor, us as the filmmakers, we are all waving are, are split on it. And 100% of the ticket sales is going to Canadian Mental Health again for for the first week of theatrical.
0: That is uh, really fantastic to hear, actually. Yeah, it's really good to to see that you guys um, step up in that way. And like you said, like you are a filmmaker, a storyteller, you really have to let those things be um, any type of recommendations for viewing in regards to mental health aspects that has to be left to the professionals. But I like to think after watching it, that 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 it could be something used in an educational uh, capacity. Would you be open to that if recommended to do so?
1: absolutely we um we're we're in the works with a with an outlet that we we hope to be able to confirm and, and announce some some larger larger partnerships. Um, and definitely if universities or colleges or, a Canadian mental health organization wanted to screen it and have public Q and A's or, you know, like we, obviously like David and I don't have to be involved, but if, if it can be a tool where we're a hundred percent open to it, I mean, that sounds, it, it's nice when you can make a film that people enjoy, but if you can make a movie with a message or, or, or some of the music videos that I've done that have been able to have like a, an impact on, on charities or like, that's, that's, that's a bonus you, you, you know, you. I don't think about when I'm making a movie and I think that's almost the greatest reward out of anything like the, the trophies and everything from the festivals are wonderful, but the idea that something you created could have a positive impact on people's lives. um, It's sometimes it's almost too, too much for me to think about because I can't uh, it's hard for me to believe that, that, you know, a movie I made could have that kind of impact. But then at the same time, I think about all the movies that I've seen like growing up and, and even now where I really, walk away with a like feeling impacted or educated about a topic and and i i guess i just have to learn that it's no different that people may see that in in my work as well
0: so for everyone out there listening september 25 in virtual cinemas last call i really recommend you watching this film both for its story and the way that the story is presented and uh gavin michael booth i thank you very much for your time today look congratulations uh with the movie that you can pull off such a a great feat with such uh, limited uh, time and limited uh, resources is just uh, really speaks to you as a filmmaker of much ingenuity. So congratulations to you and to your cast and crew and best of luck with the release next week.
1: Thank you so much.